X book chat where we talk about Dawn of X. For the past two weeks, we haven't been talking about Dawn of X, but this week we actually have some news that we can talk about. And we're going to be talking about the precursor to it, House of X and Powers of Ten. I'm Almas. I'm Juan. I'm Rodders. And I'm Fox. Um, so we wanted to sort of start off about like what we thought um, Dawn of X would be like before um, before House of X and Powers of X completed. And I remember that before um, House of X even started, they released the new lineups, which was like Marauders, X-Force, um, Excalibur, all those comics. And I distinctly remember going on a rant on it. And I went on this like three... I kept going on like this rant on it on like my Tumblr. And I was just like, wow, I really hate the X-Force lineup. They're going to force Quentin and Wolverine down my throat. Wow, they, they removed Akihiro and they had Quentin be Wolverine's son. I hate this a lot. And there was like, I, I like went into that like thinking I'm going to hate X-Force. And X-Force is my favorite book out of it. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not ashamed to say that I ha- changed my mind on it. Because everyone seems to think that I go into something hating it and not giving it a chance. But X-Force, I, I was, like, so against the concept of, and I loved it so much now that I've seen it, how it plays out. <laughs> See, I'm right there with you, because, like, when the ranking, initial, like, rank the books started, X-Force was consistently at the bottom for me for the first two issues. And then, like, third issue came out, and I was like, oh, crap, I am sold on this book. I really like it. I, um... I just want to say House of X and Powers of Ten, just even before I went into it, I was I was so I, I kind of just didn't know what to expect out of anything because I I was of course I was excited because Hickman was coming in and not just because like I and even then I wasn't that amazing big fan of Hickman. I had known I hadn't even read all of his Avengers run at the time. I had I knew Hickman through Secret Warriors, which was it was a really good series. I loved. Um, I know bits and pieces, bits and pieces of his Fantastic Four run. I mean, I've read more of it now, but back then I was just I was just hyped because it was just it was something different. It was it was kind of un untraveled territory. Right. And I'm I'm also very much the one who I like to follow things as they develop. And, like, I remember way out, year before House of X came out, out, there was, um, what's his name? There was that, uh, Matthew Rosenberg posted a picture from the, uh, from a Marvel Summit, and, uh, Hickman was in it, and almost <laughs> immediately all the comments were like, what is Hickman doing there? Hickman, doesn't, right. Hickman said he wasn't working with Marvel anymore because of the treatment of Fantastic Four, and... He said he wasn't going to be doing it anymore, and it was like ten minutes later. The picture was deleted. I remember that. And and so, because I I like clues, I like secrets, and I like I like knowing things. And that sounds very <laughs> not gossip. Okay, I'm not like that. <laughs> I, just, I, like, I love gossip. There's no problem with loving gossip. It's thank my favorite you. thing. Thank <laughs> you. I I like. I like secrets. I like learning things. <laughs> hey, gossip and speculation is all fun. I, I I remember 
I, I like it. I think it's fun. And so I tr- tr- I try to glean little pieces of information where I can from stuff. And so that was great. So I was already excited. Like my, my gossip, my, you know, my news mystery bubble was already like my mystery senses were tingling. Like I was so excited. And, and then we got the teasers of like Hickman with the X logo behind it. I'm like in you know advertisements inside the comics, and we get finally got an announcement on what it was, and then we had to deal. I was like counting down the days through. I mean, I liked Age of X certain parts, you know, Age of X Man, and then I was counting down the days till Uncanny X Men was over, and then I just remember the um, my local comic shop was having a midnight release for House of X number one, and. I got my copy of House of X number one. I sat in the parking lot in my car at like 1210 after checking out with the light on in my car, in my tiny little smart car, um, reading House of X number one, closing it and realizing this is something else. Oh, yeah. I was just immediately I was in it from just the. From the start, the white page where he says, while you slept, the world has changed. The very ending with Magneto saying, you have new gods now. I was just like, oh. The jaw-dropping oh, moment. a lot, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like, um, going into this, I I was already a Hickman fan. I had read um, the first two volumes of East of West, and I was really into that. Um, we had bought his whole run and the ties-ins of Secret Wars when that all happened. And I was, I loved it. I was a Hickman fan and I already understood his writing style. So I was like, oh man, like Hickman on X-Men, that's going to be crazy because I was like, so much detail is going to be spent on these books, which of course it was. Um, When the teasing first started, I was like, oh man, like, what, what does it all mean? You know, you had all those memes coming out about what more, what Xavier read in Moore's mind, what it could have mean, how it was going to change up history and shake things up. You know, you get all those cliche Marvel uh, little tags that they love to do for every major event. So I was like, oh, am I going to buy into this? Is it going to be all hype? Is it going to be worth it? Then you see the poster come out for the house of x and um powers of 10 images and i was like why does he look like the maker why is marvel girl there and why do we have michael bendis's uh magneto there like i was just so thrown off i was like none of this makes sense what is happening like future present past i don't understand what's going on and that first issue had that same moment of like my mind is blown how can I get more? And the speculation started on Twitter. And everyone came flat rushing back to the X-Books and House of X and Powers of Ten. I've been so gung-ho ever since. Yeah, I mean, the first issue of House of X really set the tone for anticipation for all the issues to come after it. Like, that for the last, I think that was the last page where... Magneto says, uh, you, you have new gods now? Yeah. Are we your new gods? Something like that? I mean, that 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 little, like, dun-dun-dun thing of whole speculation was really like, well, this is where Hickman is going, but we still don't really know where Hickman is going. 
And then, like Alma said, we get the um, the previews of the new teams. And all the new teams, I wasn't really, I wasn't unexcited about it, but I was like, oh, this, they were all kind of like on the same level for me, except Excalibur, because I never really read Excalibur. And I've been, I've been, I remember talking with Juan before House of X and Powers of Ten started during like Uncanny and Age of X Men, saying like, hey, I would love it if we had like more magic with the mutants, you know, and explore more of that aspect. Cause I feel like we haven't had that really like a little bit, but not more extreme. I feel like the mutants would really prosper with more our magic aspects. Cause they all have some like, um, storm has definitely, you know, hinted at in her African roots. And then, you know, um, Ileana Rasputin is all about the magic. I mean, her, her name is literally magic. So when Excalibur got introduced, I was like, man, so we're going to get like, Betsy's Captain Britain now, and Apocalypse is there. What is he doing? Doesn't everybody hate him? Like, you know, all the X-Men hate him. So I was, that was the one that really intrigued me the most. Because I'm like, this doesn't fit. Like, why are they all, why is, like, Betsy Captain Britain now? And why is Apocalypse there? Like, what is Hickman doing? I am so excited. Um, okay, I'm going to be real. I read the first issue, saw Sophie Cuckoo, and I was like, yes, yes. Yes, <laughs> like the entirety of the issue, everyone was like talking about what are these plot people, blah blah blah. And I was like, What are you guys talking about? There's just one important thing here Sophie Coco is still alive. That's all we need, <laughs> that's all we care about. That's the only and that was like me for like the entire week until the next issue, right? For like an entire week, just everyone had to like be stuck with me, just going on about this one bit. I was really excited that all the cuckoos were reborn because I mean, since them being reborn, it. it it gave everyone the fact, like, the idea in that first issue that all, like, past mutants are probably going to be reborn that have died recently. Yeah, because the last time we saw the Cuckoos were in the, the X-23's book where they had tried to bring back the one clone using um, Gabby. Uh-huh. And didn't they all die, or was it just two okay. of them? It was just two okay. of them. Okay, okay. This arc is what... Okay, I hate X23. I think it's a boring <laughs> book. However, the Kaku arc is not that great because it mischaracterizes, mischaracterizes Esme, but um, Esme essentially tries to body snatch Gabby. And, yeah. Uh, Sophie body snatches Laura. And so she kind of kills Esme in the astral plane so that she can give Gabby back to Laura. And so it's like this double sisterly love about how, like, Sophie loves her sister, sees that, like, Laura loves Gabby enough, so she'll kill her own sister, so Laura will have more time with her sister. Right. Like, if you read it in that way, however, it's poorly contrived. Um, that, was the only, that was the only book I was really following before um, Age of X-Men, so that's why I remember it really well. <laughs> and have we seen all five of them together, besides on the cover? Yeah, we've um, seen them all. Um, we've seen them no. together in... Um... I thought we did. In a, I have, no, you've only on seen the three beach, of them. On the beach, there's only three of them. I oh. only see three. Oh, okay. So maybe the two are hanging out by themselves. Well, because here's the interesting thing, because it's either Esme or Sophie with two of the other cuckoos. It's never Esme and Sophie on the same page, unless it's in House of X. I'm very mm. sorry. I'm very passionate about these girls. <laughs> They're my favorite. Everybody has their everybody has their faves. You don't have to apply. And the cuckoos are great. So well, they might not. They all might still have some animosity against Esme. That's why maybe they're not all together because of what happened in X twenty three. So they might not have figured. They might not have squashed their little, you know, 
The beef. The beef. Until <laughs> cable it. comes around and they can all agree on cable. Uh, that might be the actual the first time. That, <laughs> that might be the first time we actually see them all together. Is like cable, I think number two or three issue. Is that the cover? I think it's two. issue two. Yeah. yeah. Whenever that comes out. <laughs> Whenever that comes out. In the near future. Not in August. <laughs> um, I do. Okay, so I'm going to like have a very clear disclaimer here. And I honestly, honest to God, cannot judge um, House of X or Powers of X as harshly as I've judged a lot of the other books we've been reading. And that's because I've been reading the, I read this book during a very weird time in my life and was the only thing that was like sort of consistent. Um, so I have a very deep love for this book and I can't judge it too harshly. So everyone finds me like, oh, you're being, I'm being soft on this book on purpose. Um, however, that being said, I didn't enjoy rereading it as much as I thought I would. Because I think a lot of the enjoyment from this book comes from the fact that there was so much that you didn't know and there was so much hype around it. And there was like, I would message my friends like, and we would exchange theories and we'd be like, oh, what's going to happen next chapter? And it was just like this, um, it was such an intense event. Like living through it is quite different from just like casually rereading it. I don't think it has the same magic. I don't, I'm not saying it's worse that I've reread it. I'm just saying I just, didn't have that level of excitement and enjoyment that was yeah. actually well, that was one of my favorite parts of r- when it originally came out how excited everybody was read about reading it oh yeah i think i think that was how i met and became friends with you uh, juan rod yeah. i mean, I, I mean yeah. rod juan i think i met you i think like we started all talking during while house of x and powers of 10 were coming out uh-huh. Yeah, I think we all met through every podcast. I swear to God, we talk about Jared, but I think it was through Jared's like little chats, and then we all started chatting afterwards. I didn't know. I didn't meet him through there. I met him on some post, but it wasn't on Jared's post, but it was on some tagged Hoxpox post. And then I just started. I thought I started following a lot of like um, X Men related people or people that had X Men related posts because I was like, I need to find every theory and compare it to mine. <laughs> so. <laughs> And I loved it because it created, it was, it's very far and few in between where nerds agree on something. And I'd say 95% of X-Men fandom really liked Toxin, Powers of X, Powers of X. Oh my God. I'm sorry. (laughs) House of X and Powers of 10, because my mouth can't work properly. Um, Everybody, okay, not everybody. We've we've seen people who don't like it, but I would say ninety five percent of people liked these books. And as someone who who just hates arguing and almost gives them anxiety <laughs> issues, I really loved it because every it sealed. It felt like everybody was happy about it. Yeah, I, I do was, agree with that. I was like, this is great. We're all having fun. We all like we all figured out how to not. We you know we figured out we got X spoilers that would trend. We had X spoilers almost trending every single week when House of X right. then came out, and yeah. everybody was excited about it. At Wednesdays became Wednesdays were always fun because I got new comics, but Wednesdays were my favorite day of the week because not only because I, you know, it was fun to get this comic that I was so excited about, it was also fun because I was going to be able to have great conversations with people. And through the whole, like, for a whole week, too. 
Yeah. Like it would carry you on for a week, like until the next issue came mm-hmm. out. And it was funny because it became like this thing of everyone having to like wake up as soon as it hit, as soon as you could wake up and read that book yeah. because you did not want anyone to spoil it for you. No. You didn't want to go onto Twitter until you read that issue because you know something was going to happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, almost in every issue, there was always like some uh, one or other iconic page or little um, screen cap thing that people made memes of or made jokes of or just made like more like informational innuendos of. And that's what like that's what made me actually really enjoy rereading it again. I mean, I, granted, I reread it fast because I wanted to get ready for the podcast. But I just remember I'm when when I was rereading it, I was like, well, let me see if I can if there's any clues that I missed or oh, I remember reading this and I remember enjoying this what this character said so much or this scene was like really uh, really written well and I like how it really paints a picture with the words not just like the the art itself but the way they're like telling you everything without even really showing it to you like I really like I really enjoyed re- rereading Moira's past lives like that's one of my favorite issues of this whole entire event and rereading that again I was just like I feel like I I feel like I missed some things the first time and I haven't reread it since then. So we reading it again, I was like, wow, I forgot that her first few lives were kind of boring. <laughs> like, not yeah. like super boring, but like I forgot that she actually had um, her first life, like a husband and some kids. And then each one of those kids had eight kids. I was like, man, Hickman gave her like a ton of kids and grandkids. Where's so her reality really TV show? Right. <laughs> I think like what 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 was really great about like House of X, the Powers of X, is like I, Powers of Ten, is that I do have like really great associ- memories associated with this because Fox and I met just like, right in the middle of the hype, and we didn't meet online. We met through our mutual friend um, at FlameCon, and it was just like we spent what seems like five hours and we would just be talking and talking and talking we'd be on the train and be talking about how we'd be talking about x-men we'd be at the comic book store talking about x-men and then we would be at like the hotel talking about x-men and it just would not stop and we did this for two days straight remember we went to that place called the big gay ice cream shop (laughs) yeah just letting you know guys if you guys ever go to new york go to big gay ice cream shop it is fantastic ice cream I've heard about it. I've heard. I know. I've seen images online about it. It was. It's so great. It was. Do they have non-dairy? Yes. Probably. Perfect. Perfect. That's actually like surprisingly one of the few locations that Rodney and I want to have to have our honeymoon is near Comic Con. Yeah. So that's one of our options. We um, should do FlameCon. That would be so great. You see, we want to do FlameCon or San Diego Comic Con or that one, New York Comic Con. I don't think I could do San Diego. San Diego just seems too crowded. Like I, right. I think I would. I think I would like get like drown in people. I don't. And I feel like it's the Disneyland uh, of like cons because there's so much you're never going to get to see everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, to wait. tie this back to that, <laughs> to like, uh, so I know we're all excited about like um, cons and stuff to be back. However, I just wanted to point this out that the time they that. During San Diego Comic Con, when they released the new lineup of um, House of, of Dawn of X, um, I was on the plane back home, and it's like a sixteen-hour flight. But not that's not the thing I want to talk about. The thing I want to talk about is that I paid fifteen dollars for in-flight Wi-Fi to see what the new lineups <laughs> were, and I saw the new lineups, 
and I immediately went on a rant about how much I hate X-Force. And I, I don't think you understand, like, the, like the reaction, the visceral reaction that seeing Quentin Choir and Wolverine on the same, te- on the same team releases in me. Because I, I remember I saw all the other teams, and I was like, oh, great, we're going to have Excalibur, and I'm excited to see Apocalypse. But then I saw Wolverine and, like, Quentin on the same team, and my brain just, like, frizzled out. That and I was see. like, I hate this. I mean, and also, if I was in your shoes, I would be pretty disappointed if I spent fifteen dollars for in-flight Wi-Fi to get to be disappointed by something. Right. True. I'd be like, ah, oh man. I feel like the of the um, previews that confused me the most, and I remember talking Juan's ear off about this, is the cover of the X-Men, the first X-Men cover with the Summers family, because. In my head, I was like, oh, is the X-Men going to be following the Summers family the whole time? Because I was like, I'm going to get tired of that. I don't know if I want to get it anymore. I'm like, I'm like, maybe I'll just get all the other titles. I'm like, I, the Summers family is okay, but I can only take t- so much of Scott. I do like um, Dawn of X, Power of X, and House of X Scott better than past Scott. But at that time, I didn't really know anything about um, the new Scott that we have now. So given with his whole family and then Gene and Wolverine are there, I just was like, oh, I don't want it. I don't want <laughs> I don't I don't want a whole series about this family. That was also that was very much also my worry going into it. I was like, oh, but then it was pretty quickly. That was pretty quickly um, dissolved because I, I can't remember who said it, whether it was Jordan or Hickman, but they said it was going to have a revolving cast of characters. Yeah, I'm like. Okay, it's still pretty much been mainly about the Summers family. Yeah. They, they haven't really gotten away from them. I mean, yeah. other than... I mean, well, even even the resurrection, even the, you know, the Crucible issue was partly from Cyclops' point of view. Yeah. yeah. So they really haven't gotten away from the Summers family yet, and I hope they do soon because... Ugh, I don't know how long I can do that for. <laughs> right. But, well, but also... Uh, but- I but also, like I have I, to do it because this book's fantastic. Yeah, it is. And I feel like I kind of, even though I said I don't really like Scott or majority of the Summers family, I feel like with Hickman's writing of them, I feel, kind of ate my words because I really did love the family connection that they had in the first issue. And then the issues on, I like how he's like being a really good father to Rachel and Cable. And then, you know, his like... um Connection with Gene is still there. And honestly, I don't really feel like Gene and Scott should be together. But if they're going to write them together, then at least they're doing it lovingly. And, you know, they're being good parents. (laughs) I I agree. I like Scott and Emma better, personally. I'm... I hate their couple name. I think Schema is one of the worst <laughs> nicknames oh. for couple. Schema sounds like a disease. It does sound it like does. a Schema sounds like a disease, and I don't like it. But I, 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 I think they're written well in X Men. I just right. still, I just think. Okay, this well, is gonna be really embarrassing. Recently, I was listening to Lord soundtrack. Yes, I love her. She's one of my favorite singers, and I wish she would. Oh, come yeah, she's actually. awesome. And I was listening. I don't know if you've heard the song "Louvre" by that. Oh, I but, love "Louvre." Yeah, that's a good song. There's the song where she says, "Um, I, I forgot what the lyric was, but it's like, I'll blow all my friendships to uh, sit in hell with you." It just it made me think of the way Emma gave up so much of her mm. past life 
to be with Scott, you know, being a good per has to be like a good person sort of yeah to be with him and like there's part of the song where she's like you're not really my type but yeah. like i'm still you know still in love with you and then like talking about you know they'll hang us in the louvre you know the back but you know still louvre like they're not they're not the most functional couple but they're still in love with each other there's and it's still their romance is magnificent yeah, so it's, not, right. it's not perfect, but it's something, and it's something good. That's and that's why I I just that song really rekindled I was my love for that couple, and I, I just think they should come back. They were so good, <laughs> right? I was talking, see. I want. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say. See, I want. Um, j- so you know how Scott and Rachel and Cable had a moment together, mm-hmm. no family moment on the couch and everything, and then in the um middle of the island in the um in the clearing i want gene rachel and cable to have a moment together like, because be they're good. all kind of they're all kind of telepaths they could all they could even have because i love when telepaths have like a telepathic connect conversation with the little bubbles um i want them to have that and just like like when we had the um the young gene and then rachel i forget what book that was and then i think hope or the older gene all talk to each other at that party I forget what book that was. I think that was like X-Men Red or something. That but sounds I, so messy. I want that. I, I don't yeah, know what that is, but... I forget. It was a recent book before it, this. It was the, was the it, X-Men book. Was like, it Extinction? Oh, not Extinction. Um, whatever. If that's not important. But I would love for them to have a family moment like that. Just to like to kind of like talk crap. Also have like an intimate moment. Have like, I know we're, you're not really our mother... But, you know, you raised me, you know, Cable. And then you always been, like, loving to me, Rachel. Well, kind of loving to Rachel. I mean, she's come around. She's to disown Rachel. But she's she's a good mom now. So it's okay. <laughs> I, I have one opinion. And it's sort of controversial. But every time I've been haunted by this since, like, um, since, like, I've seen the post about it. And it's like, oh, now since um, Betsy's white, she has a chance with Scott. And every, oh god! And every Ooh. time, and every time I think about it, I'm like, yes, have Scott date date Betsy and Warren date Jean because I want this messy, messy love triangle. I don't and want it. it, was, <laughs> it was that would be I love the heterosexual drama. I've watched too many soap operas in my life for me to let this go now. I'm too okay. invested in this. He and tried it back in the nineties. You know who would make it even messier? Logan and Emma. Oh, oh god. No no no. You keep Logan away from Emma. Emma deserves better. Emma deserves no, they so have much a, they have a they have a frenemy relationship. I don't think they'd ever really get together. But See, that's... if you're gonna if you're gonna ship a frost and a Wolverine, it should be Laura and Sophie. <laughs> I just I just all I can think of is back when um it wasn't a very good event, but it had good Emma moments and that was Infinity Wars. Oh, yeah. And where Emma, where, because, you know, there was the warps where, like, two heroes team oh, together. Oh, my God. Diamond Patch? Yes. And it was, it so was Wolverine good. with white hair, a white eye patch, a white suit. He was a dandy. He was a it, southern dandy. It was so good. Oh, man. It was. And then there was the Emma moments where Emma teamed up with Miss Marvel. And I was like, this is exactly. I love this. I like this team up. They can be friends. Yeah, you know that was what? Good. Kamala, 
let let Emma mentor you. You would be so much stronger. <laughs> and um, and then there was another moment where uh, Emma rode the motorcycle and made and made um Loki get on the back. Oh yeah, that was nice. And that was hilarious. She's like, he's like, I'll drive. She's like, no, 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 no. You get on the back. I drive. I'm like, oh, I so... mean, that's what that's what I love about Powers of X and House of Ten too, because they actually do give a lot of good Emma moments. Like when she first, you know, um, walks through the courtroom, and then when um, she's like, they're on Krakoa, and she's like, fine, I'll do it again for the children. And then another moment when. They're at the fancy meeting, and she has like a little telepathic, um, sarcastic one-on-one with Xavier. Like those are really good Emma moments, and I'm glad we like. I'm glad Hickman gave that gives that to us with her. Um, so I I do really I I like House of X better than Powers of Ten. Same. Um, Powers of Ten has a lot of technical jargon. Um, that hurts my head. It it kind of takes away from the reading, like. Okay, I'd give House of X five out of five stars, but I'd give Powers of X four out of five. That's because of the fact that like Powers of X really slams you over the head with the infographics, and it's like Hickman, I understand, but like I don't stop stop acting like I know things because I don't. <laughs> um, I get that rating. Um, like it's still a good book. It's just like I so much of the infographics is so annoying and it just sort of like does this thing where it gets you out of the story because like house okay i hope this makes sense because it makes sense in my head but in house of x the way they place the infographics is in between the scenes so it's like a transition between scene and scene so like if you want to switch locations it makes sense however in powers of x they don't switch scenes they go back to the original scene they and it happens a lot, so it feels really jarring the placement. I just, I have a hard time going along with future with like future story timelines. Like, oh yeah, because I know they're never going to happen because Marvel doesn't let things age. So I know these future storylines are never going to happen, and so I I don't enjoy them as much. And also, I agree with um. I agree with almost on that. Uh, that there, I don't. I it was a lot of technical information, like the the amounts of minds that need to be in a collective versus a technarch. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna remember all this. I'm not gonna remember these crazy. numbers. I'm not gonna remember these numbers. I'm not gonna remember <laughs> these terms, and I'm gonna be lost later because I know Hickman's gonna bring it back. I know it. He's gonna do something wild. Yeah, when I was reading it, um, the only things that I found really helpful and really, like, informative that I really cared about were the stuff that had to deal with Orcus and the stuff that had to deal with the flower and the stuff that had to deal with Sinister. Yeah. Like, those were the most informative because, you know, the Sinister stuff's gonna happen. And they even say how, like, you know, the sinister leads to the betrayal and demise of Krakoa. So I'm like, well, duh, Avi. And we slowly see those seeds getting, like, watered right now. Even in, like, the Marvel 1000 issue, they gave us more of that. 
So I was like, oh man, like that stuff I enjoy. But like the future stuff where that has to do with the legacy virus and all that stuff or the phalanx, the phalanx stuff, I'm like, I do not care. This will not happen. <laughs> well, see, I I didn't mind. It was parts of it that I really didn't like on that. Like I did like some of the phalanx things, like um I guess the phalanx wasn't is wasn't really in year one hundred. But I did like the year one hundred aspect. Year one hundred, yes. Yeah, with Nimrod and then Rasputin and like the that future apocalypse and all that. Like that was really cool and I really liked all those scenes. But the year one thousand with the blue robot head guy that looks like Xavier and then like the phalanx coming and then and not, not like the the art is beautiful in that. But I feel like the art also <laughs> makes it kind of confusing how they place things. Because I remember going from one page to the other page and it kind of just has like this destruction and didn't really explain. It doesn't flow. Yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't flow. It doesn't really explain what's really happening. You're supposed to kind of assume, which I'll, in some comics you have to assume and just use your um, no, most common sense. And that's fine if it kind of leads you to that. But I feel like since we don't know really anything about the phalanx and he's just kind of making this up as he goes along, it doesn't make this story better. You know, it just kind of makes the reader confused. And you're like, okay, well, when we're done with this year 1000, I'm going to be great because I just want to move on with the story. And that's kind of how I felt. When yeah, I I, yeah, I very much like the present, more present day stuff yeah. and more past stuff. The future stuff i'm just like oh okay like do i have to read this like you know as soon as it's coming you're like oh, i'm just gonna zone out now yeah we could have stopped at year 100 and i've been happy <laughs> I, I was okay i liked rasputin i like i'm sorry i like tall muscle ladies with big swords i'm sorry oh yeah <laughs> she like was it. best she was awesome i just i didn't and i i didn't See, really care about anything else i love the relationship that rasputin and cardinal have because they're so opposites of each other and like the whole speech that cardinal had with rasputin in the first issue of powers of x where he's like if i can change the way i am i would and if i can die instead of her trust me i would and rasputin's like yeah i wish you could i'm like god dang that is such a that's the iliana in her right there she's like yeah i would take that trade yep. and i'm like oh, yeah i would too because this guy's <laughs> this guy's cramping my style Right. Um, but I okay. Also, I liked I liked Nimrod. I thought okay. I didn't oh yeah, like Nimrod. Nimrod was t- Nimrod's a terrible despotic, geno- you know, genocidal jerk. But him yeah. acting like a like a six year old child getting excited about things, I felt bad for giggling because it was really funny. Because look at this tall, look at this tall, bulky robot right here. It was the best thing ever. I wanted a Nimrod plushie after that. <laughs> well, the thing is, we've so never twisted. gotten a Nimrod with a personality. He was so humanized. Like, Hickman did such a good thing by giving him a personality. And that's what all he's been missing because he's normally the the halt, I am your future, I'm here to destroy you, you cannot destroy me kind of personality, you know? Mm-hmm. Very dry, obviously very robotic, very one-dimensional, and he gave him death, he gave him reactions he like he squeed i was like oh my god did he just squee because <laughs> he, he's excited that they're gonna wash silobe's brain i was like okay cool i'll i'll go with it and i love the like kind of because you've seen this in many villain 
um, villains in movies where he's like, I am so sorry I'm doing this to you, but I'm going to do it to you anyway. Sorry you had to go through this, but I'm, I'm so fun doing it to you. It's like very like psychotic, villainous type stuff that I love in movies and uh, reading too. <laughs> Another thing I sort of liked was the Shakespeare almost like Shakespearean reference is when he incinerates those few humans and then like does a monologue to one of their skulls. Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, oh man, that's dark. But it was you cool. It was yeah. a cool visual. You can tell he like the robot, which is kind of crazy, likes to hear himself talk because no one else was around that was alive. So <laughs> he's like, I'm just want to hear myself talk. That's just what he's, I want to do. He's got a big personality. He's got a big personality. <laughs> and it's funny because then so, you get you get the other personality of the, uh, I guess, what's supposed to be the Omega Sentinel. And you see her personality. She's very much like business. She's the one that keeps him in line while he's just like the fun, torturous kind of guy. Uh, so what I personally really like about Powers of X is the entire, like, chapter we got dedicated to apocalypse um um so like when okay so when the chapter of house of x came out after this and that's the chapter where like um the x-men go on a mission and die i wasn't emotionally affected by that at all that had like zero emotional effect on me um because just death in general doesn't really have a strong effect on me um and that tells and I feel like that's just like a personal thing. How because I was still like reeling from like how the 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 other powers of ten issue, which had like apocalypse thing and should forever end. Let me die in battle, surrounded by my fallen enemies and with blood on my sword. You know, yeah. looking back at this, maybe we were we always had uh, ten of swords hinted at us. Right, we have. Um. But this moment, like, Apocalypse willing to die to save the mutant race is something we've never seen before. Because Apocalypse is never willing to die. Um, so, it's very interesting and it humanizes Apocalypse in a way we've never seen before. And, again, this is an opinion that I probably only have. Um, but I don't think you can read House of X, Powers of X without reading um, Age of X-Men. And I say this for one reason, and it's because Age of X-Men was the building block to House of X and Powers of X, because they both thematically share a lot of the same ideas. Um, This is very true. I agree with that. So, you like, technically you can read House of X and Powers of X without reading Age of X-Men, and you still get the same. But it gets more depth when you consider what a utopia would be. Because... Age of X-Men is a utopia, and because it's a utopia and there's no crime, and love becomes illegal. And I I hate love becomes illegal plots in general, but that's sort of the precursor of, like, that's what happens when there's no conflict to the X-Men. They start hurting each other. Right. They start start wanting to impose, like, there's always going to be a problem of control. And I apologize if I'm talking about this a lot, because I've been reading a lot of philosophy lately. Um... I, I've been going crazy, um, so I apologize <laughs> for the next few sentences that I'm going to say, because I'm going to sound really pretentious, but, um, so I've been reading um, The Origins of Totalitarianism, it's a 700-page book, I'm not done yet, but I, 
listened to also a lecture on it, so I am kind of familiar with the ideas that it explores. And I think uh, thinking about that and thinking of how 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 like powers of X and how half of powers of ten and how um, half of X are presented, um, Origins of Totalitarianism takes us like um, it, at the time it was published, it was very controversial because it was criticizing um, other people's views on why something so evil as the Nazis would take power. And it was because there was like no political discourse. Because there was no political discourse, people wanted their identity handed to them. Um, so there was, so like nobody was thinking for themselves and that's why it was so easy for like people like the Nazis to give them an identity. Um, and I apologize for, I'm not implying that X-Men are Nazis. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that the X-Men are so tired of trying to find a place of their own that I can completely buy them. <clears throat> Accepting Xavier's message so that they don't have to think for themselves and right. not engage in political discourse. And that is why they're allowing the secret council to be a thing. And like everyone's like turning a blind eye towards it because nobody wants to think for themselves. And okay. that, that's um, a really controversial opinion, and that's a completely loaded opinion, and I apologize for that, but I, it's been in no, my mind. I don't think it's loaded. I think that's justified because everyone wants to come out of this. Well, not come out of this. They want to be guiltless. They want to be, you know, think they want to believe in the dream so hard that no one wants to be blamed. And if the council takes it upon themselves to lead them into this new era, and they're going to brunt the whole responsibility on their shoulders, everyone's like, all right, as long as it's not me. Well, yeah, I think I think there's like a few, there's definitely like, almost you're right, and Lon, you're right, but I also just think a lot of them are just tired. Like, they're tired of fighting, they're tired of trying to, like, form, how many times have the X-Men or mutants in general made a home for themselves just for it to get destroyed? So, the fact that all this is just coming together no matter if some of it's a little shady, some of it's a little wonky, you know, and some of them might not even believe in the methods that, you know, Xavier and the group has come up with, but they're like, well, like you said, they might just not want to think about it anymore. They might just want to have someone think for them, just go with the flow. They, they just don't want, probably don't want to fight anymore either because you've fought, been fighting for so long. You're like, if I have a chance to actually live and prosper and not fight, I'm going to go with what is allowing me to do that. Even if my conscience is a little against it, my my overall happiness will still be achieved. See, like, a lot of people think that when you criticize Krakoa in that sense, it's um, being against Krakoa. And I'm not against Krakoa. I'm more so saying that there there has to be conflict within the country for so that it it feels, first of all, more realistic um, because there's always going to be conflict between people. It doesn't have to be us bombing each other. It can just be us arguing over which pasta is better, you know? <laughs> we can't all agree all the time on everything, and I think that's part of nature, and that's part of what makes people human. Engaging in discourse, and I don't mean, like, engaging in online discourse. This is not what I mean. Please do not engage on online discourse if it's going to cause you, like, mental harm. Don't. Right. What I'm saying is engaging in discourse and exchanging ideas, conflicting ideas, is actually how you grow as a person and human being. And by putting Krakoa in this like, bubble, in this like, utopian bubble, it sort of does this thing where it 
it stunts the X-Men's growth and it stunts mutant growth. And I, I would like to see more conflicts within Kirkoa that aren't particular. And I'm pretty sure that's what we're heading into with Leah Williams' X-Force, X-Men, the X-Factor. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what we're heading in. Um, so I, I'm not completely against Kirkoa. I'm just saying that like it feels very totalitarianism. And I come the and I say this as coming from someone who lives under a very strict monarchy. Um, it feels very like totalitarianism, and it feels like it, it feels off when you compare it to like what we consider demo- democracy and freedom are. Right. I think I'm Hickman. Very sorry actually... for getting into political theory. No, um, you're I know good. This is not what everyone is here for. <laughs> no, no, I like, actually no, I like your points, and you I think feel Hickman... sorry because I feel dumb now. <laughs> Thank you. <Right. laughs> I think. Amis, I think Hickman actually agrees with you, given, like, the small little discourse that we've gotten so far, like, with Xavier plotting, you know, an attack on Kokoa and saying that we need X-Force now to, you know, stop attacks like that. And even in, like, the first issue of Cable, them having, like, arena battles, like, yeah, that's all fun and games, but they're still, like, putting bets on each other, fighting each other, letting out aggression, maybe having, like, out some like um, conflicts with each other and things like that. And like you said, we don't know how X Factor is going to be, but X Factor is also going to deal with the problems that's probably having in the resurrections and maybe even people's like family life. Because I know mm-hmm. Leah Williams said that it's going to deal with uh, people's sexuality, the way they want their family, um, how they want to be re- resurrected, and all that. So, I mean, I'm sure that. I'm sure when um, Hickman and all the other writers are thinking that, they're probably thinking the same way you were, almost like, hey, we can have this utopia, but it's not going to be, like, a perfect utopia without some conflict. No utopia can. I think I always find the concept of utopias being presented as dystopias, an interesting concept in storytelling, an interesting concept as um, to play with. They're very interesting concepts to play with, but I don't know how they want to play this out with Krakoa. It seems very unclear what direction they're going in. And that's my main, um, that's my main, like, where I'm not sure how to feel exactly about Krakoa. Like, I love it, but also I'm like, do I? Um, I'm very, I'm always all over the place on how I feel about certain things. I, I have to, like, give it a year to fester and then come back to it. So, Ask me in a year when I go to Kokoa, and I'll have, like, a better answer. Yeah. It, what's funny is, um, <laughs> when you guys are talking about this, is it reminds me of when I was rereading the first issue of House of X, when all the um, the delegates were coming together to go and visit Krakoa, and were coming to talk about, you know, seeing Krakoa as a sovereign nation. And one of the delegates actually said... Um, May you live in interesting times. And that's a quote that was considered to be kind of like a curse because it's saying that, you know, you are living in peace right now. The curse is that you're about to live, you're about to go through some shit. It's about to be awful for you. And I think it's really interesting that's one of the things that he put in the first issue of his House of X story. And I was like, okay. So he's trying to warn us that stuff's about to go sideways, not only for the humans, but also for the mutants, because they were just about to go into um, 
the Jerusalem habitat. And I found that really interesting for them to place that there because I'm like, oh man, like he's, he's foreshadowing his whole story already with a curse. Mm -hmm. Okay. Building off that, I'm not sure. Um, it's sort of like an ancient proverb, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure. I apologize if I sound dumb for this. Because I want to, like, tag... If it's an ancient proverb, I'm going to connect it to my next point. But if it's not... It was... People claim that it's an ancient Chinese proverb, but it's not. It was actually written in a, in a book. Um, and one of the, the characters in it claimed that it was a Chinese proverb, but it never was. Okay, so I can sort of connect it to this, but there's... Um... We talk a lot about the themes that Hickman puts in his writing. And um, when I wanted to connect it to was if it's an ancient, if it's like an ancient thing, it's, um, I wanted to connect it to the Bible, but I couldn't find like a nice segue. So I apologize. So we're going to talk about the Bible now. Um, cool. But there's a lot of like biblical imagery that I absolutely, that absolutely went over my head. And Hawks Fox, it, because everyone was like, oh, apocalypse is like a metaphor for blah, 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 blah. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense to me because I, I didn't grow up in that culture. And right. I think that's, that's some... That's, you're always taking a risk when you try to symbolize something, when you use symbolism, when you reference literature. That's, you're always taking a risk. Right. And the interesting thing is when I would talk about it with, like, Muslim friends, we would... I a lot of like apocalypse story was very similar to to one of like um one of the stories that are in the Quran and I would like and I would be like yeah that makes sense to me and everyone was like no it makes more sense as like a biblical allegory and I was like I mean we can agree to disagree that's just like a cultural difference at this point cuz like I'm not ever going that's what like my main problem with the imagery and symbolism with House of X and Powers of 10 it was just some of it was so overwhelmingly Christian that I couldn't ever get into it or understand it. Right, right. Which is funny you say that because I literally had a whole theory about this, <clears throat> how um, that basically someone was going to be the Judas in this whole thing. And from the way that it's showing itself, like how Apocalypse was always in the shadows lurking behind Magneto and um, Professor X... I was like, are they setting him up to be the Judas? Like, is he the one that's going to betray them? And you slowly see little things, like, appearing throughout the whole Excalibur run. And I'm like, I don't want to believe that he's the Judas. I feel like it's going to be someone that we do not know that's in there still. Like, you know, it could be Kitty. It could be Sinister. <laughs> it's going to be someone within the inside of the council that's going to do it. Well, I think it, I think I think it might be even pulling back from like um, Days of Futures Past. I think that's not Days of Futures Past. Age of Apocalypse. Um, it might be Apocalypse and Sinister teaming up because we've never actually had them really team up in our present time. Not really. You see, that's why I loved uh, Mara's Life Nine, where Apocalypse and Mora teamed up and they basically killed Sinister. Yeah. Okay. I okay. Hmm. Uh, okay. I have very strong opinions. About life nine. Um, <laughs> That's the best life. And the opinion is is that they teased it with this like this full page of Moira and Apocalypse making out. 
they teased right. it with that that teaser and i was like cool we're gonna have this relationship between a white woman and an arab man and it's like this evil arab man and it's probably gonna be white savory but i'm so forward because it's gonna be apocalypse in a relationship for the first time in forever and this makes perfect sense coming out of age of x-men where he's like i've learned to love i've learned to like open my right. heart out to other people and they're both immortal like apocalypse's conscious is technically um omniscient not omniscient is it omniscient I forget the word, where it's uh, omnipresent. Omnipresent, omnipresent yes. Apocalypse's consciousness is technically omnipresent, and he knows, um, because of his scribe, Osmandias, he knows um, the future of many of his lives. So he can, like, sort of influence the future. Um, I'm sorry, this is a lot. So I was like, yes, it's going to be such an interesting relationship and, and, like, playing between dynamics. And then nothing and came then, out of it. And then nothing came out of it. And I was, like, so heartbroken because I had, like, these theories built up and I was, like, right. so heartbroken about it because I was, like, oh, man, like, well, I get why, but... Mm. Well, Moira and Apocalypse haven't, well, in Donna Vex, anyway, haven't seen each other no. in the, in her 10th life, you know, mm-hmm. that we've seen. So, um, so hey, yeah. it might still happen. You when, see, that's what <laughs> I want that... I want that Moira book that we were teased such a long time ago. Well, I mean, that's gonna that was gonna happen in the future anyway. So now it's gonna happen even more in the future because <laughs> everything else still has to come out. It was funny, okay. like reading that that part of uh, House of X number two because they don't even call it Moira's ninth life. They don't say it's her ninth life. They just follow it after her eighth life. Not automatically lead you to assume that that's her ninth life. They don't say it's her ninth life until Wolverine kills her. And exactly. Then it's like the end of her ninth life. Yeah, which I thought was so interesting that they would do that. Um, okay, so... I, a lot of people are pissed off about the Moira Redcon. A lot of people are still pissed off about the Moira Redcon. Eh. Um, Why um, would you I, be? Okay, so like, that's so much depth to her. Okay, so like, there's this argument that like, was Moira not a good enough character before this? And it's like, yes, but like, you have to understand that Moira's character before this is this woman who gets constantly traumatized and manipulated by men, and it's extremely exhausting to read. And uh, okay, so like, you can say that Moira, yes, Moira is a strong woman, blah blah blah, etc. Whatever adjectives you want to add to her. But it doesn't change from the fact that her story is so distrusting. And as a human, because she's a human, it's very hard to, like, think of her as this woman who can carry all this guilt on top of her. Right. Because, um, like, horrific things happen to her. And I'm not going to, like, explicitly say that about this podcast. But they're having her be retconned to be a mutant who lived multiple lives gives her not more depth, but more nuance in her choices and the fact that she acts evil sometimes. Right. Because there are because there are issues where she acts completely evil, like you can't justify them. But once she knows that there's like a darker, deeper truth that she knows that a lot of people don't, you're like, okay, it's sort of justifiable. It adds nuance to her character rather than depth. Um, and that's just my opinion on it. And I've been a Moira fan beforehand, so I it just made me more excited to see her um, and how her knowledge would just seep through every iteration. Because there's she obviously would know a lot more stuff 
she obviously knows how to cure mutants, but she's never done it. Right. Yeah. She's obviously interacted with these scientists multiple times before, but she doesn't let, let it on. And I think that's like an interesting concept to explore of her trying to repeat her relationships without um, repeating interactions she has had in the past, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I feel like, I mean, people are allowed to feel how they want to feel, obviously, but I feel like, like you said, this gives the character more nuance and it may just, like some people like you, Amis, were a fan of her already, but me personally, I wasn't, I haven't, I've read a little bit of her, but I wasn't like, searching to read stories about her like I do some characters and Hickman basically kind of revamping her in this whole House of X Powers of Ten series made me really appreciate the character more and actually want to see the character more and obviously we are going to see the character more later but it it made me actually feel like she for a lack of kinder words matter (laughs) not that she didn't matter before because she definitely had you know story arcs and and things in a timeline that actually has some effect for the x-men and um for the mutant line in general but definitely given this revamp this made her i feel like in my opinion a better character for the overall even marvel mythos like she's actually a key character now and but before in the past she wasn't really a key character i um i kind of agree with you on that rod i um i do and i mean there's some precedent precedent for her being immune in canon she was the only human to ever get the legacy virus oh yeah Yeah. see i forgot about that so there's some and i don't think that thread had ever been picked up again so there's some precedent for her being a mutant and i saw a take once that i was um that really annoyed me once words like oh getting you know making the mutants you know exclusionary you know not involving humans takes away all the fantastic human allies that they've had in the past and on some level i kind of agree with that but on another level i can't really blame the mutants for that like you're not it's okay so like here's the thing like if i'm my friends are allies but i would never go to a gay bar with them you know i don't it's not that deep sometimes yeah like here's the thing like if my house is a non-binary only house and i will only live with other non-binary people why would I invite a cis man to live with me? You know, that's just like, this is my safe space. Like, not, okay, so like the same, the word safe space has been like, bastardized, you know. Bastardized. Yes, bastardized to hell and back. And it's like, but yeah, this is, the mutants are allowed to do this. They're not excluding humans from all their activities. They're only excluding them from their home. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not particular like if you exclude like homophobes from Pride, that's not that's not a hot take in my right. opinion. You know. Yeah. I um I want the one human okay, I mean, there's a few humans that I, I of course, you know, Kyle Kyle Jindal, North Star's husband, right. Captain Britain, Peter Corbo, super doctor astronaut Peter Corbo from the old comics, he should be allowed to come on. Mm-hmm. But um, 
I there's I was sad about Omega Sentinel because I liked Omega Sentinel. Omega Sentinel had great stories, and I was sad to, that they made her a villain. Well, the thing is, after seeing her in the first issue when she's on um, Orcus, they're saying everyone's affiliation and hers is unknown. She has no affiliation. So the thing is, it's kind of teased, like, who is she with, though? Whose side is she on? Oh, my God. Could she be a spy? We don't know. That would yeah. make me so happy. Omega Sentinel being a spy for the mutants would be so great. That would make me so happy. Okay, but, um, so... I'm sorry, oh, sorry. I just want to add this one last bit before we before we move on completely from the Moira thing. But there's like this problem with people saying, "Oh, but Moira's the only human ally," and it's like, no, she's not. You're you're forgetting like the many women, specifically female allies, that have stood behind the X Men and, and like helped them so much. And like, I'm gonna name Candy Southern, Kavita Rao, and Charlotte Jones. Boom. And I know Candy Southern is dead. I'm 100 percent aware of this. Um, I'm in denial. However, <laughs> she did a lot for the X-Men when she was on the team with Warren and Bobby and Hank. She used to, like, manage for them. And Kevita Rao has been, like, the she created the vaccine for mutants and this, this and then decided to destroy it. Yeah. So that she, did, she, she did Moira before like, Moira. Right. No, did she? Well, I don't know. That, no, that's no, that's up in question. Well, technically, no, I guess now, but but before before this was written, I guess yeah. <laughs> she had a she had a quicker she had a quicker turnover from being trying to destroy mutants to being a friend of mutants. There yeah. <laughs> so it's like there are many human allies. You are just focusing on Moira because she is a white woman, right? There, yeah. it, I mean, it's it's not it's pretty clear that you only care about Moira because she's a white woman. It's very clear with white fans. And I'm yeah. saying this out of a place where I do love a lot of these characters. And, I, and they're some of my favorite. The human allies are some of my favorite characters in X-Men. However, it becomes very clear that a lot of the times the issue with Moira is that she's a white woman who's no longer human. Yeah. Well, it's that, definitely. And it's also one of the things they can nitpick that they, um, that they can gripe about a series they don't already like. So a lot of people, some people, not a lot, a lot of people love this. And that's why the X-Men stories, Don of X, are one of the top selling books. But the people that don't like it, they look for all the little things that could be exploited into not liking it, and they push it to like 100. Like yeah. the, Mar the Moira thing. They can be like, oh, well, she's not human anymore. Humans aren't good enough for the X-Men anymore. They're segregating them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like they could just exploit that to the sky is blue. So that's that's the one thing I always I always try to bring it back to is like um, earlier when we were talking about, you know, the mutants sitting by and just idly having their lives destroyed piece by piece every time. I go back to that speech that Cyclops had with the Fantastic Four when he's like, my family has spent our entire lives being hunted and hated. The world has told me that I was less than you. I was more. Did you honestly think we were going to sit around forever and just take it like, yeah. Who's going to do that? There's only so many times you get punched in the face until you say, I'm tired of it. Right. You fight and back. It, and it brings me back to what you guys were talking about, about how Age of X-Man set up for, um, for Hoxpox. 
And it's weird because no matter what we feel, because I know, I know almost doesn't like Age of X-Men as a whole. And I, I know most of us don't like Rosenberg's Uncanny X-Men. But for as much as we don't like them, they really did set up for Hoxpox. Right. You, I'd, you, go ahead. I'd argue that Age of X-Men set up more. Um, I feel like Uncanny was just to like set the bar so low for us that we had yeah. to like House of X-Men powers of 10. But Age of X-Men, I feel, had more, had more refined but mostly forgettable storytelling. Well, I feel like for the Uncanny, it was especially for Cyclops, just to make him have the lowest like point point yeah, that was his lowest 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 point we i think we've ever seen him really and besides well yeah no actually that's probably the lowest point we've ever seen him because he was like sacrificing everything just to scrape by and that led us to be, like like you said earlier almost to really believe why some of the excellent would be okay with xavier doing this because some of the people really weren't for xavier for a long time even before he died but him coming back and being like hey i'm starting this up again they'd be like yeah Let's do this because we almost just all died. Like I, he's like I buried people that I've worked next to forever. My his brother just died. That's that's what I think was so. Like I'm sorry, but I think it was really smart of Rosenberg's run. People were so pissed at how many people were dying, and I was like, yeah, you know why? Because they're they're giving you a hint to something. Something's being e- everyone's dead. Yeah, you think they're gonna leave havoc dead? No. Everyone's dead now. Oh my god, what's gonna happen now? Well, we're gonna give you a life where no one can die now. But also, like, I felt like it was also to to do this thing with. I'm. I know. I'm not gonna get into the whole dust thing, or not dust. Uh, blindfold thing. But <laughs> thank you. They had to get her out for a reason because we already knew. Well, knowing now the whole destiny thing, the, that precog, everyone was gonna be like, where's Where's blindfold? Where's blindfold? They had to have her go away and then have her not be re- resurrected yet, as far as we know. Which I hope gets tackled in Leah Williams's book. But, you know, there's going to be a point where they're like, oh, sh- there's a reason this happened here to get to where we are now. Um, I, I just want to add one thing that um, I think uh, okay, so my dislike for Age of X-Men is um, not particularly because I, I just thought the story itself was boring. Um, and that it was mostly flawed by racist writing in two of the books. Um, and mostly extracts. Extracts failed on every way it was supposed to be executed. Um, I think if it, was, it was, if it was an actual apocalypse book rather than a Kitty Pride book... I yeah, that was a I weird one. I think I would have forgiven it more, and if it was more of a critique on how we view Western individualism, because that was the point of Apocalypse. The point of Apocalypse in that story was being like, "Hey, you all are working yourselves to death, and you're forcing yourself to follow these rules that you hate," and that's a very strong criticism of Western individualism, and like if you and like how we how in that how in Western society we sort of try to ignore our families in favor of like work and productivity. And that would have been a very solid criticism, especially with Apocalypse being Apocalypse. And this being like an AU version of him, which loved love. 
And I think having that be a criticism of society in that way would have segued very well into House of X and Powers of Ten and then into Dawn of X where the whole theme is family and love. However, you get this like back and forth that Kitty Pride is going to get with Colossus or not and it's like, oh god. And, I was like, tired of that. Lost. Everything gets lost in the shuffle in like these books because none of these books had really strong messages that they were trying to send despite the entirety of the thing in the entirety of this like, like the entirety of the EU was supposed to be like this is about what happens to us when we forsake love for productivity yeah that's the entirety of the point that's the point of age of x-men but age of x-men fails on the execution on every single level <laughs> and that's why i'm mad about it it's not that I hate the concept from, like, I hated the concept initially. It's just, like, it failed on the execution. Mm. Well, I mean, we all, that's why, that's why it's good to have so many different opinions on the podcast, because we all view things very differently. And one thing I want to, I wanted to bring back to Hotspox, um, that I really actually really loved in one of the later issues, I think it was House of X, because House of X had more of the personal stories, was the sinister issue. You know, when they went to Sinister's Island and they had all the Sinisters there. Like, Bar Sinister. Yeah, Bar Sinister. I did not, like, I knew we were going to get something about Sinister, but I didn't see that coming in, like, the thing they had with him coming. And that was kind of hinted at in, like, the back issues with the Hunt for Wolverine with the Iron Man and everything. And they had all the DNA of all the mutants. That was hinted then. Um, but I really loved all the humor with it because I love Hickman Sinister. Like, I loved his Sinister. I, we first saw his Sinister, at least I first saw his Sinister, in Secret Wars. And that, I, that's when I first started getting back into comics. And that's the first time I've seen Sinister in a while. And that made me just love that character, like, to death. And seeing him again in, like, even a bigger caliber with so many versions of himself, I just, that was, like, also one of the top, next to the Moira reincarnation issues was my top one because I just, I loved every single like panel of that. Like the art, the dialogue, everything was top notch in my opinion. Like jumping off of that, it's funny because like I, um, like I said earlier, I've started rereading X-Men Legacy and the first few issues of that are all Professor Xavier trying to find himself again and uh, trying to piece his life and memory back together. And finding out how much Sinister is ingrained in Professor X's life to the point of, like, basically being there at his conception and and putting his DNA or consciousness into Professor X to have him be a failsafe if he ever died was insane to me. And now knowing every little thing up to now where we are of Dawn of X going through all their history with Sinister, I'm like, if there's one person you should not have on your island that you should not have on your council is Sinister. But I get it. It's keep your enemies close kind of mentality. And it's better to him to be under the umbrella than to be working against you. But the thing is, I'm always, I will always fall back on this. He's a shady bitch and he has no allegiance besides himself. That is true. Um, yeah, I like because you know we were talking about earlier which person is probably going to be the first to, you know, throw everybody under the bus. And 
I mean, we already got in one of the past stories, like one of um, in one of the descriptions, one of the past timelines, Sinister screwing everybody over and then murdering him almost immediately for it. Right. So Sinister, if anybody's going to screw him over first, it's going to be Sinister. That's just, I think that's going to be it. I don't think he's going to be the only person to, you know, screw. I think there's going to be multiple factions, but because everybody's going to make allegiance, you know, because like people are already hiding stuff from people. Oh, yeah. And like not even just Moira and Xavier hiding, you know, or uh, Magneto and Xavier hiding Moira. You have um, Cypher hiding, um, hiding, uh, what's Warlock. The Warlock for some reason. And you have Shaw, Sebastian Shaw, hiding a lot. Yeah. And then, so there's already, there is already factions. And like, Sinister didn't tell anybody that, you know, I almost guarantee he knew that Madeline Pryor is in the basement of his old place. Mm-hmm. So, like, I bet he knew that. And he just didn't want to tell anybody. So he's having his little wet works go take care of it. And so, yeah. But, okay, so House of X. So we, it's just, it, it just revolutionized things to a good point. It, it, one of the things that I've always seen is people, you know, one complaint I even dealt with this past weekend is, People saying the X-Men aren't what they are. They're not superheroes anymore. And my my thought is they're they they're not people who became superheroes because they wanted to be. They're not like Captain America who wanted to fight World War II. Or, you know they're not it's like Spider-Man. I mean Spider-Man didn't want to become a superhero, but when he got the powers but these are just people who were born with these things. They never it's just Random they never sounded out. And so they're just people. They're not superheroes because they want to be. They soup they're superheroes because they feel if they're good enough, if they seem heroic, maybe people won't hate them. But now they've realized smartly, in my opinion, that they shouldn't have to. They should just be able to be people. Okay, right. I think this is also important to add on. With X-Men, they never really had, like, an alter ego. They were always exactly. like, this is a mutant, and they're also superhero, but Iron Man gets to be Tony Stark and Iron Man. Captain yeah. America gets to be Steve and Captain America. Like, um, and you see this, like, even Peter Parker gets to be Peter, and he gets to be Spider-Man. They get these double lives. The X-Men don't. Their lives are constantly in danger, no matter what. Like, even... The Inhumans get double lives. True. X-Men, like, I don't have, like, any, I don't harbor any hate towards the Inhumans. It's just, like, that's the fact that they do get double lives, too. <coughs> so, um, I do want to say that something that um, House of X and Powers of X to touch on, but only briefly, is the fact that Sophie calls her name a human name, and that she's looking for a mutant name. So yeah. there is this implication that like, and we see this again with um, Psylocke later in Fallen Angels, where she's like, I'm no longer Kiwanin, because that name was given to her by a human. And she's taking Psylocke to reclaim her identity, but that's like another discussion for another time. But like, 
she also chooses Psylocke because it's a human. It's a name that wasn't picked out for a human. It was a name picked out for a mutant. And I, it's it's really interesting to see these themes. Um, and I'm not. And I'm pretty sure they're going to get followed upon eventually. I'm hoping. I'm hoping um, as to why some people prefer the mutant names and some people prefer their given name. You know. I. That is a good point. I. I just. I feel they've. There were so many good points, especially even in House of X one. There was that moment where they're just they're reclaiming their own spot in the world. They're they they found their own spot. They're they're because I think people have fallen into the pit of wanting X Men. They're so used to it being a like for lack of a better word torture porn that they're of you know fighting constantly fighting for survival that they're so used to it they get they're unhappy about the fact that the X-Men have don't have to do that anymore. It's not about fighting for their place in survival. Now it's just maintaining it. Right. They have their they have their leverage. They have their place in the world. They you know they do they do that sort of thing. They don't have to there's no need for more lock tunnels anymore. Right. And the funny thing is, like, jumping off of your point, like, and some of them still choose to be heroes. Like, you have Wolverine teaming up with the Punisher. You have Storm over there in Wakanda again. You have Magic going to go help Doctor Strange. Like, they are still being heroes. Just because you don't see them being, quote-unquote, your everyday Spidey hero in their book, doesn't mean they're not heroes. They're heroes to the mutants that they're going and rescuing and saving from fascist like governments that aren't allowing them to be back with their own people. Like they're heroes to them. Just because they're not your cliche hero does not mean that they're not. Yeah. I would say, um, speaking on more kind of like heroic moment, I feel like Xavier is becoming even though Xavier is not necessarily a good person giving his track record, but I feel like he's being the hero in Powers of X and House of Ten. I mean, he might have his own agenda, but two things like flash back to me of him being more heroic is the time where, you know, the team goes to um, the station next to the sun and gets rid of Mother Mole, but they all die. And he has a whole moment, a really chilling moment that was all over the internet when it came out, that no more moment. And that was just like him, this reaction, just like, hey, I'm not, we're not doing this. I'm thinking of a new thing to do. We're not, no more of this, you know? And then the really like badass moment of him telepathically giving the message of Harkoa around the whole world for the mutants telling them that they have a home and that the humans cannot hurt should, like are not gonna be able to hurt the mutants anymore you know they have a home for everyone like that was really like those two moments are really powerful and i guess in a level of heroism for xavier in this moment like he might have another agenda and that whole moment might be washed away with his whole other agenda that he has with mora but reading this without worrying about anything else is reading it right off the bat made me really give more respect to Xavier 
than what I've had in the past because of his choices. <laughs> yeah. um, He's the daddy. <laughs> I think we've exhausted... Um, we can continue talking about House of X and Powers of Ten for hours, and I do mean this, because there's so much to nitpick and so much to talk about, but I feel like maybe we should talk about Dawn of X, because we've got some really exciting news recently. Well, that real fast, before jumping into that, <laughs> I want to just touch upon this one little thing, because it leads into this. And Powers of X number four, mm-hmm. where they show us how Krakoa was usually two places, mm-hmm. Arako and Krakoa, and how Apocalypse and his horsemen, his original horsemen, had to protect not only the world, first of all, Apocalypse saved the world without anyone knowing that. He stopped this whole horde of invasion and ended up having to split them and not having them be together anymore. And he used, what was it, the, the Ebony Blade which leads us into what we're probably about to go into. Okay, first, before we talk about the crumb of news, there was a question that I asked that um, I asked Twitter if they had any questions about House of X and Powers 10. And uh, one of my followers said, just started reading House of X and Powers 10, and I'm having to go back because I don't understand the whole Mother Mold Nimrod thing. Is the larger Nimrod the same as the floating head? And... No, those are not the same thing. Um, Mother Mold created a, was apparently going to be the thing that creates the Nimrod. The Mother Mold. The Mother Mold is a factory. Nimrod yeah. is. Nimrod is like imagine. Imagine the most top of the line car, in like let's say. In like let's pick a, someone pick a brand of car. Toyota. Toyota. <laughs> uh, sure. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, but like, okay. Imagine like a. Imagine I'm like, you know, a, just imagine a very fast car. Like this is the top of the line. Like there. a this Lamborghini. Like, yes. There we, we go. No, we have like one collective heterosexual brain is, cell. <laughs> the the master mold, the mother mold, is the factory. The, the Nimrod is the is the Bugatti, is the Tesla, is the... It's it's the top-of-the-line model Sentinel. It's it's the peak Sentinel. And... Because it has its own sh- sentience. It has its own thoughts. So... Yeah, there is there is a big difference between the Mother Mold and the oh, Mother yeah. But, um, okay. We can go back into the fantastic crumb of information we got in the, um... This past week, we we finally we finally got a teaser, a teaser for a new teaser for X of Swords, and it's glorious looking. It's got it's Pepe Larraz on art, and it has yeah. Apocalypse. We got these red clouds up in the sky, and then with Apocalypse's four original horsemen in it, and they look super cool. But you got Apocalypse with really cool golden armor. It looks like. Then you've got um, the Iraq, the Iraqo kid that uh, Kid Cable gave a bomb to. The Sumner. So dumb. Mm-hmm. And then you got Kid Cable there. You've got um, Beast, and you got Monet, 
and you got Rachel Gray in her new um in her new X Factor uniform, and then you have all these weird black hands reaching up at them. So which were actually the same hands that they used in that issue of Powers of X number four. What hands? The hands that are reaching up are the same hands of the same creatures that were in Powers of X number four when uh, he when he was battling at Arakoa. It's mm. true. And it's interesting because I'm looking at this the the people that they chose. Why Monet? Like I love Monet Saint Croix, but why her out of all people would like in this image? I mean, she is very powerful. Yeah. Uh, I assume what, I'm assuming we have to see something happen in Empire to lead up to this. Right. I'm assuming something happens that's really important in Empire that we haven't been we haven't been graced with yet. Yeah, because she's also in the Empire cover. So here's what I think is gonna. And you know what also makes this really interesting is this is it has it slated for September, mm-hmm. and that so we're gonna be going into so that's um we got June July August so they have to Marvel is gonna cram all their three all you know in the three months they're gonna have to cram so many X books into there to be able to get to this right so that makes me that makes me hopeful. That we're going to see more, we're going to see more X books coming out every week. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, this is oh man, it's so exciting just to have, just to have that little something that they got all X Twitter a flutter again. <laughs> yeah, um, it felt like it. It felt like Wednesdays again. Um, I do want to say that I wonder if this will ever tie in. In House of X, we get this um, quote from Apocalypse. That we were assuming he's talking to Moira in this quote, and it's just if you can find it in you to survive, if you are worthy, then I will make you into something more than them, something eternal. And while you could take this as it's something that's hinted towards her becoming, um, basically, like having like some of his blood, what I don't like the apocalypse Moira combination. I don't know what to call that. It's not a Carmia technically. But Apocalypse can, like, do that with his blood. Um, I'm not going to, like, go into it. But I, I do wonder if this is what's going to set up our Moira book. Am I? I see that. I think, cause, like, if he's giving all this... If Hickman is giving all this power to Teeny Howard, I think Teeny Howard might be writing our Moira book. That'd be awesome. Cause I would I, love I, that. I think at that point, Strike Force would be kind of getting, like, 12 issues and usually like Marvel usually likes to wrap up um usually like we hate to see it but like it, usually around issue 12 if like it's not having super strong sales they usually like cut the issues so yeah. if she's not writing um Strike Force at that point I could see her writing our Moira book which would make sense why the Moira book was um and teased so early but then like only put into fruition so late Here's here's a theory I'm gonna put out there. If we're gonna look at a pattern of Jonathan Hickman's books, let's look back at his Avengers run. He had three. He had the start of his book. He had Infinity, then he had Secret Wars, 
and those were his events because there were really no other events during his i mean original sin happened but um it barely tied into that his avengers barely tied into original sin like they were the avengers yeah. back in time for some somehow some way and or no they went forward in time but he had and then out of infinity spun um the third Hickman Avengers title, Avengers World, that not a lot of people talk about. So I could see this event being his infinity, but for X-Men. And right. I could see, and that's why I agree, the Moira title could spin out of that, or X-Corp, whenever that's happening. Right. Well, but, I think it's interesting about this book, too, is that it's not an alpha, it's not an omega, it's not, like, the first or anything. It's called X-Men Creations. Like, yes. creation, like, it's its own kind of title. We, so um, we knew this was coming, though. We knew this one because <laughs> we had the, um, what was it? Amazon the, accidentally leaked. Yes, Amazon. Amazon accidentally leaked it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Amazon accidentally leaked the, um, what's it called? all the listing for it and it had those one shots hold on let me i wrote in i wrote something about it let me just hold on one moment but yeah we knew this was coming and there's two or three other one shots coming for okay so the collection krakoa must choose its champions to raise their sword and battle for the fate of the world you have x-men swords creation one x-men sword stasis one X, X of Swords, um, Destruction one, then you have X Men twelve through fourteen, Excalibur twelve through fourteen, Marauders thirteen, X Force thirteen, New Mutant th thirteen, Wolverine six, Cable five, Hellions five, X Factor four, and then an X of Swords one shot that's to be determined that does not have a title. So there is four one shots attached to this bad boy. And it makes sense that X um, that X Men and Excalibur would have the most tie-ins, as the writers of those books are right who are the ones right. who created this um this event. So yeah. it's gonna be. Um, I, I sorry. I just want to say I want to put money on that <laughs> the other the other um, one shot would be called Rebirth. Um, I, I want to put money on that. You guys I wouldn't be surprised. Here. Uh, I'm betting five dollars on this. Um, <laughs> I'll give it. To, I'll give it to Fox if I turn out to be wrong. Okay, I'll send you my PayPal link. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you if you think about it, with Venmo. Excalibur and this um, Excalibur being such a prominent part of this, Excalibur's always had the mythos about swords in it. Yeah. Like they've always had. You know, the sword, the King Arthur sword, and the sword that keeps the demons at bay, or like the the bad entities of um, Avalon at bay. So I'm like, okay, it makes sense. Like, why Teeny Howard is being tied into this because magic and swords are very much tied into this. Yeah. Do you think Apocalypse is going to get an Egyptian sword since he has his Egyptian armor on them right now? He better, or else. <laughs> Listen, well, like, 
we have been, I have had people argue with me that the fox was actually white and he's just colored blue. And I promise oh, you, I've shut suffered, up, I've lost, I've had, I've suffered loss of brain cells from this. <laughs> and I, and like, here's the thing the one thing that I appreciate about what Dawn of X and um, House of X and Powers of 10 have been doing is the fact that they are tying a lot of his costumes to Egyptian tradition. Right. Um, ancient Egyptian tradition, but it's closer than like what most costumes have been. Yeah. And I do think because the swords that he were holding, or that he was holding, were swords that he usually found with people in the Gulf or people in the Middle East versus um, what you would see like the broadswords that are more traditionally European or like the katanas, which are Japanese. Um, yeah. With the swords he was he was holding were traditionally like more Arab in their sense. Yeah, I I apologize for knowing a lot about swords. I own a few. Um, <laughs> oh, we got a weed. <laughs> no, um, okay, so like, okay, I'm just gonna add this sort of it in, but it's actually like a, a sort of a tradition in my family that when you move into a new horse, a uh, new house, they kind of give you a sword. That's awesome. So when my family, I love and I that moved tradition. In, so when my family and I um, moved into a new house, they gave us a sword. Oh, yeah. It's just like it's just like hung on the wall for like decoration. It's not particularly sharp, but my cousins have because they moved twice. Their second short, their second sword is sharper than the first one. Um, we're that. not allowed to use them, but they're also like doctors now, so um, they probably so use them during them. surgeries. <laughs> Maybe. I, don't I, I don't think that's OSHA. Approved. I'm about to say it's not OSHA approved. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, the new plot point in. Um, Ten of Swords is Apocalypse performing surgery with a sword. Um, <laughs> he doesn't deflect. On, um, on, on um, the Magic Girl. What's her name? Yeah. Oh my god, I forgot her name. We haven't read that book in so long. Oh, what's her name? The evil Mor- one. Morgan Le Fay. Yeah, Morgan that, Le Fay. Yeah, yeah, that person. <laughs> um, I do love that 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 they they did that. Especially because, like, you know, it was in Powers of X number four, and then there's still, and then the dude that came up from the ground had that blade too. So I'm like, but I, the reason I, I like the fact that they did it on that issue, going back to House of X and Powers of Ten, was because that was the first time they let Doug onto Krakoa, and the one thing he, he felt from the island was this whole story. How he felt like he wasn't complete. Like, like, he had this history, and he's longing for something, and that was the big thing that, you know, he had to tell Doug. And that was the one time, one of the few times that we see Doug actually talking to Krakoa. Yeah. You think, at, uh, probably at the end of this Exoswords thing, we'll get the second, or the first part of the island back. Yeah. And like a code will be complete. It's one thing someone pointed out something. Remember how back in House of X there was that part where they mentioned the monster coming out of the ground with a giant called called a sword called the Twilight Blade. Yeah. The Twilight Sword. Mm-hmm. Well, there is another Twilight Sword in Marvel Mythos and it's owned by Surtur. You know everybody knows Surtur, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, his sword is called the Twilight Blade. Huh. So, I don't think they're going to be connected. Probably not, but that'd be cool. But that's an inter- that's just an interesting plot thread that I just felt I had to mention. 
also I like jumping on that. I was like, I love the fact that like the child of war is on Apocalypse's side, especially the fact that like uh, um, wars had that story with his mom or parent. I should just say parent because I don't think they have genders. Um, the the child of war was told by war that seek out apocalypse that no matter what you have to be by his side so this is interesting to see like i guess like i, I think they're going to resurrect the, the four horsemen well yeah they're in the sky i'm assuming they're yeah no but i mean like how they're going to go about resurrecting them oh, I don't know. that is interesting i don't know i mean he is i mean i think that's why the uh, plot point of apocalypse of him getting into magic and Excalibur exists. So he can probably use like um, the mutant Krakoma technology and magic to bring them back. Yeah. I, um, like if that's the case, it makes sense why they're pushing that magic part on him so hard. Yeah. I'm going to put, I'm going to place a thought here. I'm guessing the, hor- the his horsemen are going to come back evil only because limbo where they supposedly went corrupts people right and so maybe they come back really messed up and maybe bitter with apocalypse that he never really came to save them and they're gonna see what he's you know been doing as in the world as petty arguments you know instead of looking at the bigger picture Okay, I want that to happen, but also I want to be saved by the power of love, which Apocalypse has gained from learning how to love from Evan. I, I want the power of love to save the day in Ten of Swords. I, it, it's thematically fit. Um, I mean, didn't, didn't Apocalypse hug uh, War's child? Yeah. Yeah, so I think, I think you're right, Almas. I think that's going to happen. I think Apocalypse has definitely found like a passion for the his other children um, i i just think that like that would be you can we can revert this in like two years i don't care i just want a good apocalypse story that doesn't involve him being weird um <laughs> you know I, I i've read a lot of really bad apocalypse stories i've read a lot of really good apocalypse stories but i've never read one that had him be um the focal point and be the good guy other than, like, because we had those stories with, like, Emma Frost, and we've had those stories with um, Magneto, but we've never really had them with Apocalypse. And Apocalypse is logistically the next villain to be redeemed in um, the whole thing of X. And this, and this is very biased because I love X-Men a lot. I love Apocalypse a lot. But also because they've been trying to redeem him for so long now, especially with, like, having Evan be a reflection of what he could have been. Right. Which is interesting, yeah, to yeah. go with that because, and also we haven't seen him. Yeah, I would love a apocalypse story, like a solo, him just being good on a team. I mean, he is on a team right now, but you know what I mean. It's like not trying to. If he is scheming, he's scheming for the greater good and not yeah. for his own little selfish plots. There's a reason, like yeah, because he said that like he's not worried about man anymore. He's worried about the mutant kind. Yeah, there's no reason for him to worry about that anymore. Yeah. Um. Also, I want to touch on the fact that, like, this story was also teased back in the um, 1000th issue of Marvel, 
where uh, Apocalypse is going back to the Temple of the Horsemen. And uh, he's like, I've seen many deaths, many wars, many famines, all poor replacement for the, those who came first. What this world needs is a return to the old ways. So rise, son and daughters, rise. That was all the, on that one page. And that was written by Hickman himself. And the fact that they show that where he's going back to the temple and he's trying to, obviously he's trying to bring them back. So I feel like that it does tie into everything that we have seen so far where he's trying to wield magic in order to bring them all back. Okay, here's a thought that I have. So if you notice, he has four original horsemen and there's four characters other than him on Excalibur. Could he be using them possibility, possibly as vessels? Or oh yes, I love body stacking stories. <laughs> um, Could, uh, I don't know why. Okay, so body stacking stories are some of my favorites. So if that happens, I'm totally on board. I want to see that because it's it's just it's so. I just feel it's really it's way too convenient the amount of people that's on the team to be his exact normal him and his four generals. Well, it's technically five, isn't it? Yeah, because Gambit's there. Well, no, it's Gambit. Unless he gets rid of Gambit. No, it's Gambit, Betsy, Jubilee, and Richter. Richter. So that's four and Apocalypse. And and Rogue. Rogue, Betsy. Oh, yeah, Gambit. So, yeah, get rid of... Yeah, and he didn't even want Gambit there, remember? Oh, yeah, that's true. So I feel like when Gambit's been a horseman... Yeah, and he tried to get rid of Gambit, but Rogue wouldn't let him. Yeah. yeah. So, so that makes sense. So maybe he sees Gambit as Gambit's already been a horseman. He doesn't want to make him a horseman again. Right. And he got he has been getting super close to Richter. Yeah. And okay, Richter's so only we, getting stronger. Yeah. So who would we think would be what? I think I think Richter could be famine. Um Betsy could ben. be war. Yeah. Well, obviously, Rogue is death. Yeah, Rogue is death. Jubilee, Jubilee. Pestilence? Pestilence. Yeah. Pestilence. That's the only one left. Well, look at hmm. us coming up with a credible theory here. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope. On that note, yeah. we've been, I think this has been going on for, I think, two hours? Oh, smash. One hour, yes. 42 minutes, and 15 seconds. <laughs> So, what are our fi- what are our final thoughts on everything? The spoilers, um, how some X done. Final thoughts. Um, I like where everything's going. I here's the thing: he only went about two years, two and a half years with Avengers and Secret Wars. I would be fine if he kept going for like five years. Keep going, man. You you have everybody wrapped around your finger right now. He's got the notebooks worth of material. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely agree with Fox on that. I am okay with Hickman. Just like how um, Jason Aaron did Thor for like four to five years, I'm okay with Hickman and his team being on here for four to five years as well. Because, I mean, since, you know, they always, they, Marvel has been wanting a revamp of the X Men for a while and they try to get rid of them because they didn't own them. But now they own them and they want to revamp it. They want to be able to market them again and really use them. So I think Hickman could do that, especially with the rate that he's going right now. 
And just think how amazing it could be in like two or three years from now. Like how much they ha- they can create on the foundation they've already established. True. Um, I'm interested to well, I'm through this whole process. I enjoy the stories leading up to everything right now. I can't wait to see how these X Men, this new um, status quo, interacts and empire their first tie-in to a major marvel event book because we haven't seen them tie into anything major um so i want to see how they interact with everyone else and then from this point on see how their solo event comes out um i'm just gonna say this out of like um not from like a place where i don't like the books where where the books are going but i do hope they have like a nice um, finite end where like Hickman gets to tell his story Howard tells to get, gets to tell her story Percy gets to tell his story and then they have like a finite end for these writers so that other writers can come in and play with these characters and develop new ideas um, I, I'm not saying I don't like the current run this is not what I'm saying at all but I do hope that we get a nice bow tie ending um, so that other writers can come in and play and Use these same ideas that they've built, that they've been building for two to two, two to three years, and give us a fresh perspective and look. Because it's nice to have change. It's not me hating on it. I promise. Just like that's my no, right. opinion on it. No, that's true. I want another thing. I want to say is expand to as many books as you wanted. You've had like you've had previous X, you know, runs where there's you know twelve different X books going at a time. This is the one time I would actually say, do it. Come up with as many books as you can, because there's so much information to go over. Exactly. And not all of them have to be long runs. Some of them can just yeah. be a short six issues or 12 issues. Mm-hmm. And I think solo, and I also think one thing I will, I do hope they do is do more solo series, because I want as much as I like the team and the collectivism, I want to see people's individuals' point of like view and viewpoint of the story. Or I hope they can do an anthology series where you see a lot of the more superheroes on the outside react to Kokoa. Because we've only seen we've only seen Fantastic Four really. Right. We haven't seen anybody we, I mean we saw Punisher for that one issue of Punisher. But oh no, that was that one issue of Ghost Rider where Punisher showed up. Doctor Strange a little bit, a little bit, yeah, that's not much. But yeah, we never seen. You never seen it as a whole. Like I want to see Spider Man's reaction because Spider Man's been close to the X Men for a oh, long yeah. time. He and talked about Carol's that. too. And Carol, yeah, because Carol's been part of the X Men. Yeah. Well, I want to see Black Panther's reaction. I oh see, yeah. You know, I okay. I want to see. I want to see. Iron Man's reaction because like he sees all this crazy technology and he's like I, I that's all even, even all of that stuff's way ahead of me yeah um, so I think this would be a good place as any to conclude we apologize yeah, yeah, for talking your ears off for two hours now <laughs> um, but thank you for visiting us at her habitat I'm Almas I'm on Unworthy Things on Twitter and Diamond Gore on Art of Our Own I am Juan at Chongo ATX on Twitters. I am Rodders 
at Rod Bunny Slay on all the socials. And I'm Fox, and I'm at Agent Fit seven 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 on Twitter. And this was a really great episode, everybody. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I enjoyed talking. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming. Bye. Bye. Bye.